Welcome to the Vitality Shift Podcast for Chiropractors. I'm your host, Dr. Don McDonald, author of the best-selling book, The Underdog Curse. Weekly, we will be interviewing amazing chiropractors from around the world, finding out how they made their vitality shift. If you're a chiropractor that either wants to just move your practice away from treating pain and conditions, or if you just want to stay inspired, this podcast is for you. For more information on past shows, please visit www.drdonmcdonald.com and I hope you enjoy the show. Well, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Vitality Shift Podcast for Chiropractors. And I'm bringing back a return guest, um, Dr. Don Klum. Uh, I had him on the program probably about two and a little bit years ago. Uh, after I did the interview, I decided to do a six-month uh, coaching program as far as uh, like going through the fasting and the and the rotation and the and the insulin friendly diet and uh, and since then uh, Brandy started doing a lot of it as well and um, and I was just telling him before this call I, I I dropped twenty pounds not even thinking I wanted to or needed to drop twenty pounds and I've and I've just mean basically kept the same weight all the way since that first three or four months and the reason I noticed that is I had to buy all new pants. And as we know, as chiropractors, we're adjusting, like when you're adjusting high volume, you wear your pants out. And so I was just going like, I need to re-update my new, new pants. So it's been about two years of adjusting and now going from a 38 waist to a 36 waist. Um, now, now it's time to do that. So I've actually been at this weight for, uh, for a couple of years. So I wanted to kind of touch back base with, uh, Dr. Don and, uh, and just reconnect. And plus, you know, two Dr. Don's talking to each other. How can you go wrong? That's pretty fun anyway. Oh, double your pleasure. Double your fun. It's great <laughs> to be here. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So what we'll do is maybe just to start off with, uh, let's just tell the, the listeners what you're currently doing. Cause it's kind of, it'd be interesting to see like what you're at your journey right now. And then we're going to break down some questions I've had, especially, uh, experiencing what you've experienced when you um, bring new belief systems or challenge people's belief systems on food and uh, and you have to duck afterwards because everyone everyone's so charged about it. But first of all, tell us what you're doing right now. Well, what I'm, I'm continuing with the same work, just going deeper into it and, and making more of it accessible online through things like courses and self-trainings and free offers to give people a baseline. Because as we work through this and more people go through it, and I work with people more advanced, like we're doing the 30-day now. There's a few people who are doing a 30-day with me, but most people have broken it up. You really get new data on uncharted territory. People don't have this kind of, maybe one-off here or one-off there or something, but it this is really uncharted. And so we're learning so much about it every time we do. I have to keep updating my stuff. So I, I stick to my signature six-month program. We're adding some channel, uh, some some challenges like for prep and planning. And like I'm doing a muscle rebuild right after this so I can show people that muscle comes right back. If you And you don't really lose muscle, you lose volume, all that kind of stuff. And so we're trying to, you know, build it out a little more to be more complete because there's a lot of interest. People just and people can really, really find a lot of questions and inquiry about something as simple as not eating, right? So, you know, simpler it is, the more questions that seem to come. Well, and you said, that is this is this the second or third long fast you've done before? Like, it's like 30 days? This will be my second 30-day. I've done a 14, two 12s, and 7s, a bunch of 7s in the past. After my first 30-day, I said, I will never do that again. Right. But I, this, it was a completely different model. That one I did five days and it was good, going good. So I did seven. And eventually, then I was at a seminar and someone announced that I was doing 30. And I was like, I guess I'm doing 30. And that's how I, so I went backwards. This one I knew ahead of time I wanted 30. So I set it all up completely different. And it's been a dramatic difference too. Well, and I find this is the biggest difference that I found when we're talking to practice members, both me and Brandy in our practice, is that people don't understand the importance of the prep. Because they're just like, I'm just going to fast. But like, you got all these bi- people that are cracked, that are addicted, cracked on insulin. Um, and it basically, it's like instantly going into a, a detox after being addicted to like crack cocaine or something like that. <laughs> well, there's so much more in us that comes out and moves and shifts that in it's all that generic feeling is all what people think is low blood sugar, right? They get a little bit, they get headaches, their energy goes down, they might get shaky, irritable. And that can be so many different things. That's like, that's not just, it's probably not even just because you're fasting. There's all these other things that are going on and we're starting to weed those out. Cause like I did, when I went into this fast, I haven't had anything. I haven't had an energy issue, a hunger issue. I mean, I think about eating. I cook for my family every night, 
but there's been no charge to it. I don't get cold. That was a that's something that's always happened. And and if you've going through, you know that fast uh, and cold. Yeah, I was waiting for it, waiting for it. I'm like six days, seven days. I'm going. When is it gonna? It just hasn't hit. And so my sleep took on a whole new level. I'm sleeping better than I have, I think, maybe ever. And that's contrary to what a lot of people think. And I think it comes down to how much you prep and plan and you gear yourself for success going into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just and- like coming out, that there's four phases of the complete fasting cycle in my book, right? The prep and planning, your support you offer throughout the fast, and then your reinforcement when you come off it. The fast is like the most, the, the, the smallest part of that whole process, but that's what people focus on. I'm like, if you, that's just what you want, buy the t-shirt, go home, right? Right. And so uh, what, what do you think uh, you're talking a little bit about um, discovering, well, not discovering, but di- diving deeper into these oxalates. Maybe just talk to the listeners a little bit about um, what you, how you even came up with this, because like, as we've all learned, eat your veggies, um, tell us this, cause this is all, this is going to challenge a lot of people's belief systems. So give it to yeah. us. <laughs> I've always been not anti-plant, but they, I did not include, they're not required or included in anything in my stuff. You can have, I tell people have it for volume, have it for texture, but you don't need to count on it for nutrition because I don't think we get much out of them. So I had a little bias against plants already, but what happened was some, some of these new authors came out and they were making all of these exceptions and rules around women fasting. And I got, I got a little nervous. I'm like, I've worked with a lot of people. I've never had to do any of that. I've never had those issues. So I went back through my files. I called old clients and asked them about it and they didn't have it either. So I'm like, okay, either I I got lucky and no one had any of these issues or the way we do it helps prevent those issues. So I started digging into it. Just just before you go, I'm just curious, what what were those issues that the women were experiencing? uh, Fasting around your your monthly cycle, like right. some people will say, the, don't do it here, do it here. I, maybe it's because I'm a man, but my calendar, people got on it different times, and it, we never adjusted it based on that ever, right? Right, and so no one. It's not like I was against it. I would have, but no one, no one had issues either. So I was like, something. Let's let's take a look at this, right? And so looking at the female hormones for the whole thing. Uh, eventually got into different toxins that would hit things like the thyroid and, and so on. And then that's when oxalates started to surface. And then, so it got into that. It's, it's hard to research oxalates because the information is very limited. It's good information and very, it points in the right direction of what's going on, but it's all for kidney stones and, and stuff like that. And then that book came out, Toxic Superfoods, and that was great condensed uh, information in there and everything paired up. And when I was looking at the symptoms of the oxalate purging, because we have so much from all the plants we ate that when we stop, it comes out, all the symptoms were the same as fasting symptoms. And what really caught my eye, like I mentioned, was the cold. I'm like, whoa, I, I've never had a great explanation for that, right? I've kind of winged myself through it, you know, the change and burn, whatever I said, but that made sense. And so I, what I did is for three months, I was already off all plant food. And then, so I rolled in there, already gone through my oxalate. I didn't have any detox reactions, but it must've been long enough. Cause when I, like I said, going into this fast, it's been, I feel like I had a meal maybe a couple hours ago. I'm not full. I'm not hungry. I'm cool. And I, that's what I felt like the whole time. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe just tell listeners what, what are oxalates and, and, and how does that chemical kind of jive with our system? Yeah, oxalates are very similar to minerals. Like if you think of a mineral as a rock, basically, it's an inorganic rock, a an oxalate forms crystals. So kind of kind of get a visual. And they they tend to they wherever minerals go, they go because they have the same kind of affinity, right? And so they mess with mineral pathways and mineral processes in our body when they build up. So things like nerve conduction, right? Mm-hmm. That's sodium potassium and 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 the magnesium and 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 calcium, all of those are involved in nerve potential and firing, and it, it messes with that. It makes it, it desensitizes them. It does things like one of the symptoms in the old books on oxalate talks about making what they call soft bones. And so I looked into that. And I'm like, wow, look at this process we call osteoporosis, the demineralization. It it's systemic and it's not specific to weight bearing. It's very interesting. And I was like, whoa, this could definitely explain that. And so, and then you just start learning and they get everywhere because oxalates are in plant cell walls. They have cell walls. We have cell membranes. That's, that's what gives them their structure, their skeleton. We have a skeleton. So we have very loosey goosey cell membranes, totally different, but that, that rigid 
those oxalates give the rigidness to that plant. And when we eat them, we get, they just spill over into our system. And since they're inorganic, they're just basically building blocks that the body could use or not use. And so what I, when we have them there and it can use it, it will pick it up. And so, but it's a lower, in, a, in an animal body, it's a lower quality brick to put in your wall, right? It'll work, obviously, but it's just not ideal. And just like when uh, omega-3s and omega-6 ratios get off, the membrane will start to change how, its ratio, and that's a problem. Same thing. The body just uses what it's got available to it. And we have so much flooding. The plant-based everything, because the oxalates will concentrate down into flour and we, what we bake. And, and then they're very concentrated in things like nuts and seeds. They're high, highly concentrated. And people, especially when they go keto, right? They're yeah. switching over to almond flour, has ton and all these nuts and seeds. So sometimes I was also looking at the keto flu that people talk about. And it's all, I'm like, man, this is all the same stuff. This mm -hmm. is all the same process, or at least the same uh, symptomatology and pattern. And it was close enough, and it's showing to be true. And I had set up my 30-day, knowing I'm going for 30 days, knowing that certain things happen in that. Like around 12 days, I can't even look at coffee. doesn't matter how much I liked it before. I'll like it again, but you just get that turns off and broth. And so I'm talking about the cold and all that. And then as I go through and a couple other people, they were just not doing it. So I have to restructure that and think that as a potential issue and not something that just comes with fasting like I had thought. So like now when you're avoiding oxalates, is, is that avoiding all plants or like how, how, how do, you, do you determine things are just high, higher in oxalates or yeah. just no more veggies or how do you, how do you handle that? I'm kind of an all or nothing guy. So it was easier for me to just do nothing. Right. And right. I didn't have a problem with that because I was already very insulin friendly, which would be like uh, real keto and not any other products and type thing, I guess. And so, yeah, you can avoid the high, if you just avoid the high oxalates, you'll see a shift uh, because they, they're, they're toxic when they come in, but we sensitize to them because you keep eating them. Like if you drink every day, you, you need more alcohol to feel it. Same yeah. kind of thing. And then when we stop, it's the same process as they come out. So we get like a purge detox coming out as well. And so the keto flu, the weird stuff that people report about fasting, what I used to think was uh, like carb addiction type of withdrawal. It still seems like a withdrawal, but it might not only be sugar. It might be these oxalates coming out as well. And oxalates, since they mess with minerals, it now answers the question, for at least in my mind, why people seem to do so much better when they take salts. Because I can never could figure that out. I'm like, we don't go deficient. You're not even close to deficient. Your body, it, they're, they're literally rocks like gold in the body and recycles them. I'm like, I don't get why they feel better. Now I do because when they eat a little salt, it mediates that purge for those crystals and so on and so forth. Because again, whatever the minerals do, these guys kind of get in the way a little bit, right? And so now that that puzzle piece is now clear that was foggy before so stuff like that mm -hmm. and and so it's it, it is it is kind of funny because i know even as far as just like talking about carbs and protein powders and stuff there's a lot of things like if you're going to do the all or none that you 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 should not be eating right and then if you add oxalates to it too like so someone listening to this be going like okay now i can't even eat like vegetables. So like, what can well, you eat? <laughs> they have, they have lists of stuff and, and it's not too far off of what I would promote anyway. I don't consider uh, potatoes, tubers, roots, beans, or seeds as human food. So I, you know, I've already, that wasn't too hard for me to shift that over a little bit further. And then the high oxalate foods are things like spinach, chard, kale, things like you can switch out romaine, iceberg, arugula, they're low. So, I mean, you can still get your leafies if you're looking for like a side for your steak or whatever you want to do, even a salad, I guess. And yeah. if you just switch to the low exposure, you still have options, but uh, you, just, you just avoid that high constant feeding of it. But the hardest part for people is going to be the same stuff, the bread, the, you know, the, you know, whatever they've gotten used to essentially. Mm -hmm. Well, and I find it's probably the same as, um, when you're, if you're decreasing your oxalates, it'd be kind of the same as just keeping that insulin under control. Cause it is funny because I remember when you told me at first, like taking a protein shake is basically spikes your insulin as the same amount as having a chocolate bar and like four to seven times more. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's even more. So the funny thing about it was, is I was like, well, if I was going to spike my insulin, I would actually rather have a chocolate bar. <laughs> And yeah, so, exactly right. And so, actually, since that time when I stopped um, having protein shakes, like I'll have like two or three chocolate bars just in in a in a spike when I'm already eating, like just during my dinner or something like that. Um, 
just because like, I know it's not even spiking insulin as much, but I actually in, enjoy that. And so that's probably would be the same sort of deal with oxalates too, is you'd be thinking about the same as like uh, oxalin or like insulin friendly diet, like oxalate friendly diet. Oh, totally. They have the, the whole book is based on the low oxalate diet and, and, and things like that. And again, this is the problem when people say, they'll shoot me a message, uh, especially when it's on a public thing and they'll say, can I eat this? Or what about that? And I'm like, that is so, this is an easy question for them to ask. Seems very logical for me. That's like, I can't answer that. I don't know what you're doing, what you're not doing, what your history is. It does make that big a difference. There's no, you can't just follow a list for all this stuff, especially like the, the behavioral modifications of the hidden insulin magnifiers. Those are all behavior based. You have to learn them and do them. You, it's not like a food chart list or counting carbs. It's just not that linear. But if you, if you just get familiar with it, you can start to do it and it becomes second nature. But when they ask that simple question, I just go, oh man, not again. Because I can't answer. I don't know. You know, it's tough. I always say it's the same as if as a chiropractor, someone will say, uh, I heard, is golf bad for you? And I'm like, I'm like, yeah. it depends what spine is swinging the club. Like it, it depends on the person, right? Like if you're totally. in good shape and you're just golfing, that's great. It's just movement. But if you got a, already a bunch of like a subluxated spine and a bunch of scar tissue and blah, 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 like then that could be bad. But it's, it's kind of the same thing. Like it just depends on the person, what they've been doing in the past. Is this like one chocolate bar or is it you've been eating them all the time? Like, <laughs> yeah. Or are you eating it as a snack? Are you eating with a good meal? Is like you said, is it once a week, once a month? Yeah. I, so that's why I stick to the physiology. I'll tell you what the the physiology says. You make up your mind on if that fits in your plan. Because I don't, especially online, I don't work with them. And I just kind of, I, I get the question. But you have, if we understand it and know how to apply it, then we, then it's it's back. The power is back to us. You're not going to need me or anyone else to be able to rate your own progress and so forth. Because nothing necessarily has to be absolutely never ever if you know what it does. And how to how to how to kind of mediate that as you go. Um, and this is a question. I know it's kind of a, a individual question, but we've like known a few few chiropractors, female chiropractors, like having a hard time with their cycle or their hormones or off kilter. But they have been doing the fasting, and they love the response that it's having on their body. Um, but they're still having problems with that hormone cycle and like maybe not having a period or really uh, sporadic. Do you, do you think this might be one of the one of the features that might be um, it's a double edged that? sword? That's a double edged sword. So when yeah. we're talking about the cycle, when people lose, when women lose it or not, what we're learning, and there's some great uh, doctors out there that that this is all they do, and I've been following them, and I actually consulted with a couple for these questions, and it seems like women lose the cycle under stress, a certain level of stress. Yeah. Now that stress could be from, not likely it's going to be just from fasting, but usually the women that see it are like training really hard in the gym. That's like a really high, high, high base. And then they're also just, you know, eating super, they're measuring things out and, and that can be a stress too. And then you add fasting on top. That might just be the, the tipping point of the stress level and they won't ovulate that week or that month. It, it doesn't mean something's damaged and that's going to keep happening. And it's also shown that women who have regular cycles but miss some at different points are much healthier in the end, the, the after menopause, right? Uh, women who are, for example, who are on the birth control pill, which I learned crazy stuff about the birth control pill. I had no idea and I didn't like it to begin with, but it, they regulate their, their periods so well that when they go through menopause and come out, they have a much higher risk of cancers and heart disease because something about missing that every now and then, the irregularity or like we teach in the program, yeah. the variable right. is that makes us stronger. And it, and it's the body plays a long game, right? The body plays, we, we think we can make a shake and measure our carbs and do this thing. And we're changing the whole body today. The body's working on a million million year blueprint here it's yeah. it's kind of looking at us going that's cute all right you know it's gonna do what it's gonna do and yeah. the more we honor that and stay in line with that the, the better it goes yeah so it's almost like it's just like like that one meal or whatever you're doing is just like one bit of data 
in the average of all the things with all your genetics and all your environment and all that. Yeah, your body's going to be responding today to stuff you did last week. The, the, the blood sugar in our blood, if I was eating, blood sugar today is, is probably from yesterday's food. It, it doesn't go straight through. It gets stored in liver. Liver then releases it out as it needs. That's why a 100-carb meal doesn't kill us, right? Because if it went straight in, it, it would. And so in, so like as I'm going through this 30-day fast, I did I worked out. Intensity training and resistance cardio for the first week. Then I dropped the intensity training, did a resistance cardio second week. And then I've just been doing walks and, and light cardio uh, going forward. And people, and I've lost weight. I've lost 21 pounds in 21 days. Most I've lost in any fast yet, which is interesting as well. And and people think, oh, you're, you can see I'm getting skinnier. And I do a video every day so you can, you can see the difference. But when I when I start back and I plan out my reinforcement phase and, and catch that anabolic rebound, the the good stuff comes back to life. The bad stuff stays out. That's the idea. So they, oh, you're just going to rebound some weight. I said I hope so, I, and it, pretty fast if you know how to do it. I'll, I'll get muscle tone and everything volume back within because I'm doing a six week concept within the first few weeks. Mm-hmm. It's really really surprising because muscle doesn't go anywhere. We don't lose any fibers. They just get bigger or smaller. Just like fat cells. When we lose 100 pounds, we still didn't lose any fat cells. We right. just shrunk them down. Right. And so when you come off um, a fast, especially after this long, like how, how are you going to just slowly, because we, we talk about the going into it and then coming out of it. What, what, how do you come out of it? Like, to, well, to have when the best I come effect? out of it, it'll probably be a dinner. And it'll probably be about a third of a normal plate for me. And I usually go for eggs and maybe some bacon or something, something like that. Since I'm staying off the plants, there won't be any major plant stuff in there. I might do some onions in an omelet or something like that or mushrooms, but not as a, as a main thing here. And then that'll probably be it for that day. And the next day, I'll probably for breakfast. Uh, I'm, I have a rotation I'm doing for this, this muscle rebound. So I'm going between three meals, two meals, one meal. And a, a fasting day, and it's, there's different. It make, we mix it up throughout, mm-hmm. and it's going to be. I'm, I'm, you know, f- focused on the quality of the food, and I got the. I have a uh, gym trainer, bodybuilder guy who's, who's helping me with that part, and we're just going to track it out and and go through. So, but the concept of coming off a longer fast, definitely want to stay away from fiber, which I'm not doing anyway, because you can have when that hits your system after a long time, you can have digestive distress, yeah. right? And so, and then I got to back off my water. You don't want to drink too much water coming off the fast because same thing, digestive distress and no, no astringent oils or spices, nothing. Cause you're super sensitive and like garlic now will blow my head off, right? Where I used to be a chili head. And I made that mistake on the first 30 day. I had a chicken wing party and broke my fast with hot sauce. And that was not a smart thing to do. <laughs> I felt that go every, through every inch of me. You know? yeah. oh, so you want to watch those, even even like coconut oil or even like um, um, essential oils, just because you give them a few days because they're strong. And, and bacteria only live 20 minutes, right? That's their lifespan. And so you got to imagine in 30 days, you've gone through about 9,000 generations of bacteria in and on your body. It's not only new bacteria, it's new species. It's new, it's a who knows what it is. And so I don't want to slam it with anything. Just like I wouldn't want to go get a Slurpee to break my fast. Cause man, that would hit me. It might knock me out. I have no idea. <laughs> I, during the fast, I was feed, I was uh, making food for my niece and a grape fell. And I just instantly grabbed it and ate it. And I was like, what, what kind of grape is this? And I went and looked at the, ba- it's just a grape, but my, I was so sensitive to it. it just, yes. it's, I don't want to ruin that. Oh, totally. No, and I, I remember too coming off that, like, it's funny because you're just having a little bit of sugar, like, gets you like a total jolt. So you don't even need as much, which is, which is kind of the nice, the yeah. nice component of it. It really too. puts it in perspective if you're paying attention. I yeah. used to notice it because we lived internationally. Pe- uh, people who are visiting the States who live in countries that don't have Coca Cola like, like we do, and they, you watch them drink a Slurpee or go to a movie and get a, a big, thing of pop and man they, they can't even finish it they don't even want it right you know it's not a natural taste it's not a good thing but you, we have we've just sensitized to it we just gotten used to it well and if you take it to the other extreme i, I always remember watching like that show called this my 600 pound life or whatever with people who are like morbidly obese and like just even for the average person to try to eat what they eat in a day, you have, you just couldn't like, it would just be, so it'd be almost the same as when you go from fasting to eating 
like how you, how you normally, which is pretty clean. That's still quite a big jump. Just like you'd be jumping to like the, you know, 20,000 calorie obese food lifestyle. (laughs) Well, see we've been, I'm fasting tells your body so much information over this time, right? Healing's going on like crazy. Like I had a, I had nail fungus on my toes, right? And I've had on and off athletes for since I would play sports and stuff like that. And, and the medical route says that has to grow out. Once it's there, you know, it's got to grow out. It doesn't go away. It's gone. I mean, it's completely gone. What's not, I don't know how, maybe my toe sucked it from the bottom. I don't know what happened, but it's gone, completely gone. I had a gum issue receding and, and it was bad. Totally come back, you know, and, and, and that, that's been interesting. And things like this, so a lot of healing going on. But it, but once you start eating, it's going to be, it, it's got orders backed up from when you were fasting, waiting for you to eat. And that's what it does. We, I, th- I now believe we are programmed to fast. It's almost a, an, an expected thing to do in our genome. Our genes expect us to fast. And there's different reasons why I think that. And since we don't, we stay in basically a preparatory action state we're getting ready to fast and we never do and that just bre- holding that that preparation and, and intermediate there just just breaks our system down and if you look at it that way that makes uh type 2 diabetes metabolic syndrome insulin resistance pre-diabetes a normal state a completely natural not pathology not a disease but a normal state of the body just like bears get get insulin resistance and all that before they hibernate birds do it before they migrate Fish do it in the winter before they go dormant, before they do something, flies, you know, fast and the whole thing. And our body does it too, based on how we eat, but we never take the action. We load the gun, but we never do anything with it. And that's, that's hard on the body. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. liver fat, liver fat's completely a normal thing, right? It, it's not pathological. It's, that's intermediate energy the sim- that burns quicker than body fat, it's not quite as quick as glucose. It's like I, I say, if glucose is cash on hand, like small bills, yeah. And you got wallet, your wallet or your glycogen stores and your muscle and liver, so you got some cash in there. And then the liver fat is like a hundred dollar bills, so it's cash, but it's not as easy to spend. But it's not as hard to spend as say body fat, which you have to go to your bank account, transfer to your ATM, and so on. And so those $100 bills and that liver fat in particular, and visceral fat actually, is stored there no, in preparation intentionally for us to do something very difficult. I think we got, we got that fat. We put that fat on in the end of summer with all the ripe fruit. And we just That's why it's so, so sweet to us. The, it turns off our, our satiation. We don't get full. It makes us hungrier. It, we are designed to eat the heck out of that fruit put on that fat, get us through the hard winter and so on and so forth. And, but now that evolutionary adaptation that saved our species is going to run us extinct if we're not careful. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that'd be, that's a really good point for people who possibly have a fatty liver or have a lot of abdominal fat. And like, I know that and we've, I've talked to you this personally before is that if you do not have too much liver fat or abdominal fat and you start doing these protocols, like you start to see results like right away, like it, it actually doesn't take very much time and it's boom. But, um, maybe you can just kind of motivate some of those people that might have just a little bit of the, of the belly fat of the visceral fat and the fat in the liver. And it, just talk about that process. Cause I know we've talked about that before where sometimes they have, they don't see any results and they got to keep at it. And it's like something like six months later. And then all of a sudden it starts, it kicks in. Well, the good news about that, that fat is dangerous. It'll kill us. And it is killing us. It's a chronic disease, number one contributor. Right. But the good news is, is the body put it there for a reason we're just not activating the reason. So it comes out pretty fast. We can't spot, lose weight. You can't, there's no, like my arms, if I want to, if I can do all the curls I want, it doesn't mean that fat's going to go. But if you do things that are very difficult, like high intensity interval, short duration, sauna work, short duration, cold acclimation, short duration, or fasting, uh, intermediate duration, that fat in the, in the viscera and the liver gets liberated first because it's got those $100 bills. That's why I put it there. And it's like, finally, you're doing something and boom, it'll come out fast. A liver can clean out very quickly. And then that's when the body fat kicks in. Now, if you have a stack of issues for years on that, it might take longer. The longest I've seen is five and a half months for that liver to shrink down, shrink down, shrink down. And finally, once it was healthy, 
the body fat came off like 25 pounds a month. It was just like, it was just like waiting. That's the bottleneck because the liver, that pathway is what processes your body, body fat. And if it's all jammed up, nothing else will go through there. That comes out first and then the rest can go through it. But again, the good news is the liver cleans out quickly and, and so does the visceral fat. If you stick with, you got to have that consistency. And the more of those things that you you mix in together synergistically, the faster even still it can come out. So you're doing some fasting, some uh, some intensity training, some sauna work, some maybe it's cold or so, the combining these things. And man, the body just goes, wow, it's about time. Let's go. What are the most common um things that you see that people will do, which sabotage that. And then they, they say that they're frustrating. Have you, have you seen like kind of some commonalities that someone might do um, who has a lot of visceral or uh, liver fat uh, that they think that they should be getting better results, but they might be doing one or two things mm-hmm. that just actually stop the process. Well, my favorite saying I use is sticks and stones will break my bones, but moderation will kill me. Right. People they f- they float under that umbrella of moderation, thinking they're moving in the right direction. But in some processes in the body, moderation is just as bad as anything else. Some things need to be stopped for a yeah. while. And once that mechanism is back, maybe you can look to reintroduce it. But things like fructose, you have to stop fructose. Fructose is only metabolized in the liver and its outcome is in liver fat. If you have a high fructose diet, you have a high liver fat diet on you. It does not go through our system. No, your brain doesn't use it. No muscles use it. It gets bottlenecked there. And the only thing the liver can do with it is stick it in its pockets of fat. And that's what it does. That's what drives the number one cause of fatty liver. Same thing as alcohol. Alcohol and fructose are the same pathway once they're inside the body. One just goes through the blood-brain barrier. That's why we get tipsy. The other one doesn't. But mm-hmm. they, they just they hit that. And so anything that you might know about with alcoholic fatty liver in that process, it's identical for fructose, right? And, I, and people get their feathers ruffled when I say things like, would you give your kid a beer? No, he's seven years old. Will you give him, will you give him a soda? It's the same thing. They just, you know, they lose it on that. But it is metabolically. It's, it's, alcohol is a, a carbohydrate. It's a sugar. Right? So, so you, it's so, the same pathway. So one thing they don't do is they don't eliminate that fructose because as long as you got that going in, it's guaranteed that 92% of that is going to be liver fat. Mm-hmm. So you that could, could be enough to not let the rest out. Okay. Yeah. So you could theoretically be um, meal spacing, um, eating three times a day, um, periodically, like, like missing a breakfast, missing a lunch, maybe doing a one or two day uh, not eating. I know it's like two days to get to the fast level, but then when you come back off it, you do fructose. Um, that just, that kind of just slams on the brakes. Yeah, yeah. If you were to just limit your insulin peaks and exposure overall. So that means insulin friendly. So just stay with three. If someone's got a big, a strong fatty liver, they go to three meals a day, insulin friendly, no fructose. That will start the process. It won't take it all out and it won't go as quick, but it'll start coming out because that, that was being held up by the intake of the fructose and the multiple snacks that kept insulin high throughout the day, all day, which insulin closes the door on fat burning. You know, you got high insulin, you will not burn fat, liver fat, body fat, any of it. It just, it, it, it flips that switch. So you keep insulin low, that opens up the doors. And so you have three meals a day and you have no fructose that it, that just jam it back in there, it'll start to come out. You'll see, you'll see changes in size. Again, how far, how fast, I don't know. You had, like you said, a day of skipping dinner one night and two nights later or two days later, skip breakfast, start to work in some kind of uh, sparse eating or, or removing meals or a day, they'll go faster. If you're already, if you're walking or something, you just add little bursts into that just to get a little bit of that extra intensity. You'll go a little bit further, things like that. If you keep your, your bedroom at 67 degrees and you'll go higher, you'll go a little bit further. You do a cold shower for two minutes every morning, you'll go a little bit further, things like that. And so now you're compounding and that might be good for someone who's not into exercise or can't. They have, due to their physical limitations, you, you can you can probably do more than someone who just exercised for the same thing. Mm, and then when we throw the oxalate uh, into the picture, how, how, how would that, by kind of cleaning that out, how does that help with the process as well? Okay. There's, uh, since we've eaten so much in, 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 in our diet there, it's going to take years. That book says maybe over 10 years to get them all out. 
But the body, and I've learned this with the fasting and the detox process, the body always works in cycles. It's not, nothing's constant ever. Mm. Even stuff we really think is constant is not constant, right? And so the oxalate cycle looks to be about three to five days. You know, so it, it starts, it revs up fast, goes down, and then it'll stop, and then it'll do it again. And so you're, so people, when they fast, they hit, they get all these changes at once. They go, oh, this is terrible. They think it's going to be like that the whole time. That might only be that afternoon and it starts to calm down. So when the oxalates purge, that gives us the irritability, jitterness, jitteriness, headaches. Those are the usual things people freak out about and to break their fast. And in reality, it has to come out anyway. That's, that, those are toxins and those are interfering with other things going on in our body that we don't want to be in there. So, I mean, you know, pay me now or pay me later. You got to get that out. So how does it interfere with the liver? I don't think it does much with the liver. They, it's again, inorganic compounds. They don't get metabolized. Um, they, they do mess with um, the, the minerals. So you do get some changes in, in like sodium content going to the bathroom, but nothing that would be too much outside of what already happens anyway. Mm -hmm. You can see different things like your, your, you ever get eye crusties? Yeah. Those are oxalates. Those are crystals coming out. And like two nights ago, I woke up and I thought someone slapped mud on my face. They, I couldn't open my eyes. They were red. Apparently went through some kind of big purge. And like I said, I've been sleeping better than I can ever remember in this ever since day nine right? Going mm-hmm. through. And so that's great. I'll take it. If you get tartar on your teeth, that's oxalate. Your skin, your feet peel. Uh, that's or your fingertips. That's oxalates. You get like Renaud's type of symptoms that could all be oxalates and so on. And then about to the hormones, women seem to get these uh, things more, these different symptoms or reactions. And I think there's two reasons for that. One is because they tend to eat by body size more plants than men do. Just right. they're more more vegetarians, more plant based. Just in general, more salads. Just in general, spinach and, and things like that. Granola. They just tend to eat more of it. So they got more in them, and they're smaller. And their um, their hormonal glands, like the thyroid, women's thyroid glands are twice as big as a man's. So there's mm-hmm. a whole different. This is more landscape. That's more to interact with. Women have ten more feet of intestine than men do. So it it, it has an effect in the intestines as well. But when you go off plants, digestive issues almost disappear. And people don't like to hear that because you're supposed to eat fiber because it goes through. But here's the deal. Digestive, I boil down digestive issues to two main concepts. One is here you got the, the large intestine, the small intestine where they connect, right? The small intestine breaks down and, and gets all your nutrients and food. And then stuff goes into the large intestine. Bacteria breaks down what's left and so on. You don't want food from the small intestine going in the large intestine. And you don't want back overgrowth bacteria from the large intestine going into the small intestine because there's not any in there. When those two worlds start to pass, you get SIBO, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. You get leaky gut. You get um, endotoxins from the die-off of the extra bacteria, which is a neurotoxin, messes with our serotonin, all sorts of stuff like that. And so you get all these digestive issues. So then the question becomes, what makes that happen? Why does food get into the large and why does bacteria get in? Mainly it comes down to fiber and starches and undigested food because plants are the only thing that make it to the colon if, they, if anything does. Fat and protein have a, are low residue foods. I mean, we, we've broken that and used that whole thing up before it gets to the colon. What comes out of, in the bathroom is almost all bacteria. Right. So the more stuff that gets in there creates more bacteria. That's why the stools get bigger, not because necessarily because of the fiber, because it just created a huge population because, wow, they're like, hey, there's food in here. See, that's what gets the overgrowth. And then there's different kinds of starches, resistant starch that people love because they think it goes right through you and it's a free calorie. No, because it means it goes right through you and it gets in the large intestine and that can get through the intestinal wall. And now you got some, you got autoimmune stuff like crazy. And so different modified starches, any kind of modified or processed starch, since it doesn't get, it's not a complete starch, it doesn't get broken down. It gets into the colon. Now you got starch and fiber in there and the extra bacteria get in there, right? And bam, that's, that's autoimmune, digestive, everything you can imagine. Well, it's so interesting because in the last couple of years, uh, Brandy and I've really dived into the the polyvagal theory and, and really 
diving into all the chiropractic principles, looking through a polyvagal lens. And one of the biggest things is, is, is the neuroception, which is just the nervous system's ability to detect cues of danger or safety in this environment. And when you pick up that neuroception, again, as soon as, like if we're ventral vagal, that means our nervous system is regulated. As soon as we pick up cues of danger, we fire the sympathetics, fight or flight. And if that doesn't work, we actually fire the dorsal vagal. And the dorsal vagal actually shuts down digestion. So it's like, basically, it's like the nervous system playing dead. Um, wow. So it's, it's like a mouse, for example, if a mouse gets attacked and it's like fighting and it, and, and, the, and it, it's not a conscious effort and everybody has a different um, neuroceptive ability that's below their conscious level. But there's a point where the body decides it's better to actually shut down and play dead. So then it plays dead. But like, usually this is amphibians where they can actually stop their breathing for right. hours at a time cold blooded they need the, yep. you know yeah and then their brain they don't have a lot of brain tissue so they don't need that oxygen so then what happens is a lot of people become dorsal vagal dominant right. and dorsal vagal dominant is again the dorsal vagal is basically innervating everything from the diaphragm down so i could totally see this a total combination between with your eating what you're exactly. eating being in a dorsal vagal state which basically shuts down and slugs it basically shuts down the tone in well, your intestines. If you just think of it as you don't want sympathetics firing while you're in the fed state, while you're eating and breaking it down. You don't want that. Insulin is pro-inflammatory, right? Cortisol is pro-inflammatory before it's anti-inflammatory or is it actually responding to is, you know, chicken or an egg. But if you have ins cranking insulin artificially with processed foods and powders, and then keeping it high because of your frequency, eating some meals and snacks, you're in a chronic inflammatory state just from eating right there. And then there's, there's all these different things that we can look at that just add to that load. And if it's enough to do what you're saying, then you're just shutting down that process. That makes a lot of sense. I talk about that in the uh, irritable male syndrome uh, program because, you know, I make a distinction between honesty and vulnerability, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, honesty is what I think most people are talking about when they say vulnerability. Vulnerability implies a threat, that someone feels threatened or could be attacked. It's in the definition. And yeah. so we stay away from that because as soon as you feel that threat, sympathetics, you just turned off the, the open oxytocin side and the creative side and the connection side just because you just, that moment, you allowed in something that could be a threat. So same kind of concept because you, you want to stay in the state you're supposed to be in, right? And we can artificially stimulate it so much. If we just become conscious of it, we cut that down a little bit. It's one of those compounding factors that can push us in the right direction. But if we do it wrong, can push us in the wrong direction, even if we think we're doing everything right. And that's just when that, that just goes back to when we were talking about before, when people say, is this one good thing? Is this one thing I eat good for me? Because we have so much stuff as far as like spinal movement. Is it, is it giving cues of safety, safety or is it danger? Is it proprioception? Uh, our breathing, our rib cage expansion, how's our oxygen? How's our heart rate variability? How's the, the food that's entering in our stomach? Like all of those things are all like, a, I always think it's like a big, huge equation that's just like positive, negative, positive, negative. And then at the end is like, is that threat? <laughs> Yeah. Because as soon as it's threat, the body, like it will prioritize stuff and you'll either be sympathetic or you'll be dorsal. Um, and those are your basic two options, which is. Well, that's what I like about fasting, especially from a chiropractic point of view or the, or the holistic side, uh, is that when you're fast, especially a longer fast, you're a few days into a fast, you gave everything is in the body's hands. I can't mess it up. I can't get it in its way. I'm not going to try to manipulate it, stimulate it, make it do what I want. I'm along for the ride now. And innate's got 100% control of the reins. And I think that's why so much healing and everything. We go through wonkiness and shifting around. And that's what scares most people off. But you can mediate that. Like I'm telling you, it's been so easy. And if it can be half this easy, anyone could do this. Because they, they say, oh, I could never do seven days or five days. I'm like, because of what your experience is, if you were had no hunger, no cravings, no urges, no impulses, no emotional eating at all. Of course you could do it. Anyone could do it. They don't even, can't even comprehend what that freedom would look like or feel like. Mm -hmm. Well, it's so funny because then you also realize how much time during the day you think about food, how much time you actually prepare food. Like it, it is, it is crazy how much 
of our lives is almost a ritual around food. And and yeah, people think, live forget paycheck to paycheck, they live meal to meal. <laughs> well, it is too it is funny because a lot of people are excited, like, what do I get to eat tonight? Like that's what their motivation is throughout the day. So I think when you take that away, it almost forces you to like find deeper purpose. Um over just eating because a lot of people are just using that as like kind of a short burst of uh, like of insulin and also just like a dopamine hit, just like to be like, totally, totally, totally. And so when we go through, speaking of dopamine, we talk about intrinsic motivation, setting your intrinsic goals and celebrating them so that you get that dopamine from the effort you put in. Whereas food jumps the effort part and you just get the reward and it sends it backwards. Your, your, your capacity and resilience goes down. That's why, you know, so you see with video games that your kids get on video games, they get hooked. Then eventually they're on only one video game playing one character on one level. And that's all that they can do to stimulate that. They just, everything shuts back, like backs itself into a corner and everything we're doing with fasting and all these extra things we added works going the opposite way. And so hopefully you come out totally resilient. The other concept that has, is really hard to study because there's not much data this specific is the concept of the recycling efficiency of the body when you're not eating mm-hmm. your body the you know it makes me question the whole caloric thing too is it's not as li- i always did but it's really not as linear if your body's recycling four thousand percent higher to keep everything in how does that affect you know maybe we even when i'm eating i got that equation wrong if i can ask if i can keep high in this state and this deep recycling autophagy detox, whatever you want to call it, and then just have that those short windows of very low insulin and mTOR foods, can I kind of perpetuate this? And if I do, and you got five times as much recycling, does that mean I maybe I need half as much food as I did before? It's going to be very interesting. Mm-hmm. I know it just kind of turns everything on its head. What what do you find is the number one thing that helps people decide to do this? Because uh, we're just listening to a radio um, conversation. I think it was just yesterday, and they said that they had a study that said you know the twenty one days to create a new habit, yeah. or the or the sixty days to create a new habit is kind of up the window, and it's more on how if they actually make a decision. Yeah, totally. That is so true. <laughs> I, I've done like five. We've tried habits every which way you can do to Sunday. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's a it could be five days, could be the research says up to 275 days and you can't predict any of it, right? right. This is about do we talk about daily action. You want to act daily, think weekly, plan monthly, and your goals are yearly, right? Because yes. remember what we do today, we see the benefit in this model in a few days down the road. So it just gets us, it gets us in the moment to act. But, you know, gives us a little grace over time. So if, if the fast doesn't go where we want or go off our diet, it's built in that it can readjust and you know, no one goes back to zero. And so that's that's a big part of it right there. But, you know, what makes people decide to do it? That's a really hard question. I don't really, I wish I knew. I mm-hmm. market better. But no, <laughs> one thing that I know the, the biggest thing I've seen to be determined on the results is, is whether they pay or not. So I've done different versions of, of a free mini course and, you know, these I've done, I've tried to get people in any way. All the information in my programs is on, online somewhere. It's just not set up in the way. It's not organized, yeah. And I'll get this last challenge. I had over 500 people sign up in two days. I was all excited. And yet seven people, eight people might've actually done, I could track them and they did it. And I just don't get that. So that's legit stuff from the program and they don't do it. But when they pay something, they show up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so it's almost I like don't making like that psychology, but it's the truth. Well, and it's almost it almost is like that. Like uh, I, I do find that, especially nowadays with the information. Um, like they said, you can find out anything if you have enough time. But I think the problem is now a lot of people don't have enough time, and so if they pay a little bit extra money, it almost gets their attention. It gains their attention if they're actually paying something up front for it, and especially if they're being guided with something with an end end point. Cause I know that too, even for me, if I buy a course, um, with no accountability, I'm way less likely to actually go through the whole course unless I'm massively internally motivated. But if they have a, a six week program where you got to check in every week, yeah, <laughs> like, you show oh, up. a lot more likely to, to complete something like that and pay yeah, for I've, it. I've tried all sorts of models. I did one where, you know, if, if you sign up, you pay X, and then if you do everything, we can document you did everything that's required at the end of six months, you get half your money back or, you know, or something. Yeah. And I, but nothing, it just, I don't know. I can't figure that one out for nothing, but we do know it's fasting 
is like the scariest of anything out there for diet and stuff like that for most people. And so it's got to be pretty big, whatever gets them to actually sign up and do it. So, but I wish I knew if you find out, let me know. Yeah, no, no, I will. So coming to the end of our interview, I really appreciate you being with us again. Um, I oh, love having nice. the update. It's um, yeah, it's really it's it's changed the whole way that we've looked at stuff. And and it's funny even when the practice members will come and ask what we're doing. Like sometimes you almost just say like I don't like I just I don't think you're going to do it. Like <laughs> you know I, yeah. I I just like I had one for Brandy was helping one of our practice members and she's just trying to clean up her breakfast. So like to eat three times, eat three three meals a day, and maybe just clean it because she's eating oatmeal, a bunch of oatmeal for breakfast. And uh, she, she said, just try it for a little bit. Just cut out the oatmeal and just keep it with protein. And uh, she came back like one week later saying, you know what? I don't want to live in a world where there's no oatmeal. And so everybody's got an oatmeal. I hear that <laughs> all the time. What, what's your oatmeal? If I knew that ahead of time, I'd be able to do it. Cause that, <laughs> when they're telling me they're dying, they need to do this. They've been all these different things, their family. And they said, but if you ask me to give up my pizza, yeah. so yeah, it's over. Yeah, you know, that's really you know, your life or pizza. You, that says it all. Yeah, that's so it's funny. But so just in, in, in closing, I love just uh, any of my um, uh, guests just to share some of their motivation or inspiration to anybody out there that might just say, you know what, I need to clean some stuff up. I need some autophagy in my body. Uh, what kind of words of wisdom would you like to leave ready with today? Got to double down on the basics, the fundamentals. I just, I try, people like to do biohacking and all this stuff to do this. If you're not doing the basic fundamentals every day, none of that really takes off. Even the supplementation works better if you got that basis going every day. So if you're going to change your diet, three meals a day, right? Cut out and then, you know, then eventually cut out the sugar, then the grains and any powders, the hyperinsulin, then work on, and then just build it in slowly. Because if I teach this to be a lifestyle, and if it's going to be a lifestyle, there's no rush. You don't have to do seven days tomorrow. And then if you get two, get pissed off and say fasting stinks. No, let's, you know, it's a marathon here. Let's train. Yes. Well, I think the the basics, basic, working on sleep, walking every day, three meals a day, right? Cold shower, two minutes, just from your house. You don't have to go underwater. Just those type of things, meditate every day, you know, body scan, some some awareness, those little things stacked can shift almost any physiology. Then when you do something a little more aggressive, it really clicks in. That's awesome. All right. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out and sharing your journey and uh, 21 days in, uh, you got, Sue, you got nine days left. Yeah, I've done 30 days before. So I'm like, I can't just do 30. I got to break the last one. So, so 31. <laughs> Huh? You're 31. <laughs> yeah, th- well, 31. I'm glad you didn't say like 50. That was good. You're very nice. <laughs> it's always a record. I like to leave the record so there's room for another record. If you crush it too bad, it makes it too hard to do another record afterwards. <laughs> now that's good psychology. I like that. <laughs> okay, Don. So thanks so much for uh, being on the show. Thank really you. appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you've received value from this episode, please share this with a fellow chiropractor and take some time to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever your favorite place is to listen to podcasts. If you're interested in learning more about our programs and events, please visit www.thevitalityshift.com or connect with me on Facebook. I would love to hear from you. So until next time, Dr. Don out. Thank you.